0: and you're listening to white line fever where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and it
1: always will be
2: welcome to white line fever my name is steve mascot this is the beginning of this week's show but it's the third part of our interview with john karabi we i've got a long list of questions but um we're running out of time so for the third part of the interview and the beginning of this week's show, we're going to go to listeners and viewers' questions uh, for, for John Karabi. We've got uh, Gina Mitchell. I've just opened up Facebook here. Um, John's voice, I'm in awe when he sings. Uh, did he take lessons at a young age? And one more, what kind brand of whiskey does he like? There we go. <laughs>
3: um, okay, so my go-to... Now some people have given me shit for drinking Jameson. But the reason why I drink Jameson is because across the board for some weird reason, I've been to Australia. I can go to Japan. I can go to um, uh, pretty much anywhere. And I can walk up to the bar. And I can go, what kind of whiskey do you have? And they'll go through all the thing. And the one constant is Jamison. I can, I can get it anywhere. Um, So I do like my Jamison. Although I will say this, I may have a drinking problem because I'll drink any type of whiskey that has a cube in it. Okay. So we're done with that question. Next thing. Um, Actually, as far as vocal lessons, no, I've never really had any vocal lessons. I don't know if I'm singing properly or improperly. Um, I, I did take a thing. I, I took some. Uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't to teach me how to sing. It was basically uh, I took a quick class on how to warm up and warm down. Um, but that's that's pretty much the extent of my vocal thing. My my vocal lessons were listening to Robert Plant and Steven Tyler and Paul McCartney and just trying to mimic them.
2: Okay, I've got another question, but before I before I an, uh, ask it, um, y- your look is new. It's a, you're a little different from the Cruise days.
3: Has
2: uh, anyone told you you look like Robert Plant now? Is Has is it been said? No, you know what's funny?
3: You know what's funny? <laughs> And I, I, I'll give you a very quick rundown. It's kind of funny. So a, a couple of months ago, um, maybe maybe about six months ago, it, I, don't, I don't understand the fans at times, but this fan wrote to me and he took an old photo of me from the screen and he put it side by side with a photo of me from like a year ago where my beard was a little gray and I had some gray in my hair. And he just wrote me this email and he wrote, dude, what happened? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so it, 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 it's, it's funny. So I just sat there and I went, okay, um, I'm, I'm going to take a moment and respond to this guy. <laughs> um, and so I wrote back to him. I'm like, dude, life happened. That first picture is from 30 years ago. So I just said, you know what? I told my wife, she's a hairdresser. I just said, no more hair dye. No more trying to cover up the fact that, you know what I mean? Because it, I, I guess, you know, from a vanity point of view, most musicians, they dye their beards, they dye their hair, they dye their eyebrows, they dye all the shit. And I just kind of sat there and I went, you know what? I'm 62 years old now. I'm in relatively good shape. I still have my hair. So I'm not going to dye it anymore. This is John Karabi at 62. And I'm fully embracing it. Because this is what we do as humans. We get older. Indeed. Indeed. And. Now the you know Robert Plant thing I'll take that as a compliment hopefully. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, okay, um, Alex Pomp. We're going to go two questions, two more questions. Maybe let you go. Alex Pom- Pompili says you recently asked um, Billy Gibbons to play solo, a solo, sorry, in one of your next songs. What can you tell us about it? Thanks, boss. Uh,
3: Alex, Alex, I love him to death. Alex is the. Uh, administrator for John Karabi Italia site. Oh. So he's he. Uh, no, I, I I don't know. Like I I I have to send Billy the track. I just ran into Billy Gibbons at a guitar center, and I have this very kind of um, old school. It's bluesy, but it's got elements of a little bit of R and B in it but I wrote a song called, I don't need anything. And it's got, like I said, it's bluesy, a little bit of r and uh, maybe a little reminiscent of like an Otis Redding kind of a thing. So I just saw Billy at a guitar center here in Nashville. And I just walked up to him and I said, Hey, Billy, how are you? Um, we had met each other earlier. Um, probably five or 10 years before that. And I reminded him that we met each other and I just said, Hey man, I don't know what it would cost financially, but I would love to have you play a guitar solo on this blues track that I have. And, um, he was here, you know, he was kind of checking out guitars. He goes, Hey, okay. Just send me the track, Mm -hmm. whatever. And I've got a friend, a mutual friend, that used to be their tour manager. So I'm going to send him the track and then have him reiterate to Billy, like, hey, could you play guitar on this for me? I don't know if he'll do it. I'm not sure. It's just wishful thinking at this point.
2: What's it called? Can you tell us or is it too early to
3: say that? No, the, I, the song is called I Don't Need Anything.
2: Okay. Okay, one more question. Petra Desiree or Desire Desiree, Desiree? She says, I know, I know it's still crazy and tough to tour around the world because of the different COVID rules, but are there any plans to tour Europe, Germany next year, 2022? And will you bring your band, including your son Ian, over with you? We would love to see a full electric John Karabi show. That That
3: is my ultimate goal, is to... Um, Hopefully by 2022, everybody will, uh, you know, I don't know how we're going to get through it because every time we get one, we get through one part of COVID, there's some other strain that follows the one that we just got through. And, you know, so I I don't know how this is going to play out, but I would love nothing more than to put two, three, four new songs out. And then go to Europe, go just everywhere. Anywhere I can plug in an amp, I would love to be able to go and and play full band electric. Do a little bit of the screen, do a little bit of the Motley stuff, the union stuff, maybe even some Dead Daisy stuff and some new stuff. And give people an evening with John Karabi, where we cover all the bases, and just go out and have a good time and listen to live music again. I would love nothing more than that.
2: So, well, now that you're filling my screen and I'm not looking at Facebook, you look a lot younger than Robert Plant. There's no comparison at all. Um, let's finish. Let's <laughs> let's um, let's finish the um, the podcast section with a song, and this time I won't lead you. You can pick anything. Anything, you know what,
3: now that we've talked about Robert Plant, let's close this thing out with trampled underfoot. Karabi, and you are listening to White Line Fever. Turn
2: it up. Welcome back. And um, these things often aren't smooth. They often, often, there's a bit of organizing involved. But finally, we've got from Motor Sister Jim Wilson. Jim, how are you, mate?
4: I'm doing great. Great to be here finally.
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. How's
4: things in your part of the world today? Well, super busy. You know, it's, uh, everybody's really excited about the upcoming release, and we uh, start rehearsals next week, and there's a record release party, a private record release party. were doing and just every day like you know waking up to some new news and exciting times
2: yeah now people watching and listening may not be aware but motor sister started off as a cover band of your old band mother superior and it was um, i think it made its debut at the 50th birthday of scott ian who people would know from anthrax and um you now have a a second record out which is original material and i yes the the first question i had for you was whether you always kind of had a sneaking suspicion that that you would put out an album of original material eventually.
4: Well, yeah. I mean, we definitely, after the first record, we were like, let's keep going. You know, uh, everybody's schedules is the hardest part, but uh, gave me time to collect riffs and songs, you know, knowing that we were going to do it. And um, yeah, I think even when we started, we knew that we were a, a killer band and even though we were doing those songs, I'm a songwriter. So it was always kind of like, I can't wait to do an album of fresh rock and roll material, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I got quite a few questions, but just more recent, I guess the thing I did want to ask about was that it was out recorded at the um, the Foo Fighters studios in LA. Yes. And, and um, obviously, um, you know, it's a tough time for Foo Fighters at the moment. Um, I mean, um, what, what are your memories of... Um, recording there and 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 did you see was taylor present when you were recording and and how no how you...
5: the guys
4: were never around when we recorded i I'd met taylor before uh interesting story that i I'd, I'd like to tell because uh, nobody knows it but uh when we were when my old band mother superior was first starting to play with henry rollins as rollins band we all went to a uh an opening celebration thing for ozzy osbourne's New label at the time, Oz Records, OZZ Records. And it was on Santa Monica Boulevard somewhere. And we got invited to the party and we went. And we had just come back from Europe and we played a festival in Germany. And uh it was broadcast on TV. And they kept showing it, you know, they showed it a lot after it happened. And Taylor and Dave came to that party and started talking to Rollins, and we were just hanging out and uh they said they saw the the thing while they were in Germany. They saw the TV show, and they said uh, Sim Kane, who was the original Rollins Band drummer, they said Sim Kane used to be our favorite drummer. Now it's Jason Mackenroth, who was the Mother Spirit drummer. <laughs> oh. And, you know, Jason passed away a few years ago, too. So uh, it's just kind of sad to think that both those guys aren't around. You know what I mean? And the studio is incredible. The um, It's just a great place to record. There's a great, huge room that we can all set up in a play live together uh you know there's just nirvana and foo fighter stuff everywhere there's uh, a whole warehouse of instruments and amplifiers and drums and they welcome you to use whatever you want so we did i think after playing my les paul for two songs i tried one of dave's guitars and started playing that a, a different les paul and then the curator guy said uh you don't want that one. This one's Dave's favorite, this Black Les Paul. So I ended up playing that for the whole rest of the tracks. So that was exciting too. you know, just getting the vibe. And we really uh, kicked ass on those backing tracks. And then we got the final day was uh, the first day of COVID restrictions. So the studio closed. We had everything, fit. all the backing tracks finished in four days. And we had five days to do it. So fortunately, we got those done but then we couldn't get back in to do the vocals for a year plus. So that was the hardest part, getting uh, instrumental rough mixes back from Jay Rustin, the producer and thinking these sound amazing, but without vocals on them, you couldn't play it for anybody or, you know, you'd have to be in the room with me and maybe I'd sing it for you, but mm-hmm. uh, so that was the hardest part. And then we just went back to the uh, studio 606 again, to do some Pearl demos for her solo stuff recently. And, uh, we were supposed to play with the Foo Fighters on the 24th of May at the Rockville Festival. We were on their day, and now it's Nine Inch Nails, which is cool, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, I hope we, I hope we haven't seen um, the, the last of the band. So so many, yeah. um, so many records coming out now um, uh, were recorded in, you know, pieced together on, on much the same way we're speaking now. And and you're putting out a record that was actually recorded in the You're all in the room together, which is, which is pretty amazing, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things that, uh,
4: I mean, my old band, we would do that because we didn't have any money. So we would try to record as fast as we could, but hmm. that was part of the spirit of that music. So when we did the first record, it was definitely, the idea was to, um, play together and keep that spirit that mother Sperrier once had. And, uh, that carried on to the new one, you know, instead of, instead of, you know, let's track drums and whatever. First, we really tried to, you know, huddle in a circle and, and make it happen as a, a take. And of course, you know, me and Pearl were singing scratch vocals while we did it, knowing that we would, cause I was playing guitar at the same time too. And, you know, it's hard to get a perfect vocal and a perfect guitar, uh, at once. So we knew that, uh, by the time we got to sing, we were so ready to sing that we just killed them all. We do the same thing when we do the vocals. You know, we just one after another, just let them rip and sing together.
2: The album's called Get Off and it's out on May six. I better, I better, I better mention that. It's pretty, pretty important. Yes. Uh, pretty important detail. Pretty important detail. I should have said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. May six. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's funny because um, I was listening to a podcast with Scott, and Scott was talking about how hard it is now to get people's attention even for a short time and just to get them to stop and listen to something. And I guess from his point of view with Anthrax, um, his, uh, his expectations would be a little different to yours, I guess, you know, because you're, you're also introducing your old band to a new audience um, mm-hmm. at the same time where you wouldn't say that Scott is using, um, you know, Motor Sister to reach a new audience for Anthrax, you know what I mean? So it, it, it is a... You, after the first record... Did he kind of go, well, you know, it's hard to get people's attention and you perhaps were ecstatic that it actually got as much play as it did or, or, or not? Do you have, Do you think the two of you have different expectations because of where you're coming into the project from? Um, well, I, you know, it's hard for me to see it from his side, but, I mean, he's oh. always
4: been a fan. Like, I, I knew Scott was coming to Mother Superior shows before, you know, I ever played with him or we ever hung out. Um, so I... Appreciated that side, and then when I was starting to write songs, he was the the one that I sent him to Scott and Pearl. I would send just my little home demos, usually just guitar and vocal. No, I don't put drums or bass on my demos because you know I like to leave that open for for Joey and Johnny or whoever. So when he was really receptive to the the songs that I was bringing to him, that's when I you know definitely felt like. it's a you know continuation and also his support is uh, something that makes it happen so um yeah i probably give, gave him 30 song ideas and we wound up with the 12. but like in each batch there would be like a couple standouts so and you know everybody again had crazy schedules so we wouldn't see each other for a month sometimes, you know, and if a song was still sticking out by then, like, you know, I really like this one still or whatever. And then, um, closer to the end, uh, I had some fresh things and I remember going to their place and sitting in the kitchen and playing songs on acoustic, two different ones. Uh, and both of those Scott helped me finish. And that was exciting too, because, you know, we never have really, I've written with Pearl for years, but, uh, to have Scott put some cool riffs on a couple of the tunes was amazing, you know, or just like leaving it open and him saying, you know what this needs? And then he would do some crazy, uh, you know, like right there, just like that is a perfect example of that. Because uh, once you get to that middle section with that crazy speed riff, you know, that's the element that Scott brought. And I, I love it. That's one of my favorite solos that I've done over top of that, because I had to come
2: up with something other than a, Blue solo, you know. <laughs> well, I said for the uh, people listening we were going to play some songs, so why don't we play that song right now? Excellent.
4: jim wilson from motor sister and you're listening to white line fever
2: and um it's really great to have him got a new record out called uh, shoot me your ace the band reef it's gary stringer gary how are you welcome uh welcome you're, you're in beautiful somerset i'm not not too far from you hey steve hey hot metalers hey good to, good to have you mate great to ha- great to have you now I'm um, i'm at the end of your sort of schedule of australian interview interviews today and that's always intimidating because i've got to be I've got to be entertaining and not ask crap uh, uh, questions. <laughs> I was reading some. I was reading some Kerrang! interviews before, and I was thinking, how different is this to what it was, you know, 25 years ago? Um, how do you find it? Um, because obviously the band's break was maybe there was a bit of frustration with the music industry at the time. Um, do you like the music industry you've come back to, or is it better, or is it worse? What do you, how do you find the whole thing now? Well, it's changed uh, you know,
6: in many ways beyond recognition. But luckily the the industry and the business side of it is is not something I try and get too deep involved in. I, I like singing, I like being creative, I like rocking out with my friends, I like I like making music. So, you know, as long as I'm making a living, I, I try and stay away from the business side of it because you can spend all day on the telephone you know, talking about exclamation marks and contracts and, and whatnot. And uh, that's not what I'm in it for. I'm in it for music. I said it years ago, and it's true, you know, me, me and Jack and the and the gang, just like uh, rocking out. Um, there's certainly a lot more money involved in, in, in the game, you know, 20-odd years ago. I mean, uh, one of your Australian uh, friends earlier asked me uh, about Place Your Hands, the video. Mm. And, that, you know, that video costs. A quarter of a million pounds you know that was the budget for that for that video and 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 you know the 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 videos we've made so far for this record have cost us you know somewhere in the region of five to seven grand you know the money is is much reduced but the standards are, are the same i mean certainly for for our band We've got a world class uh, lineup at the moment, and, and we're knocking it out of the park. I think we've made one of the the, the best records we've had, ever made.
2: You don't need to uh, be spruiking it because I will, as good as Aussie word spruik, because it, it is an it is a it is a wonderful record. I mean, the best thing you can say about when you listen to a music is, to me, is that. That song was always waiting there to be written. Someone was going to write it eventually. You know what I mean? That's the best. That's the biggest compliment I can pay any song. And there's there's three or four at least on there that I would put. In, you know, in, in that category. But you oh, know, you, you. <laughs> but but you know, if you were going to um um ten years ago, going to some of the sort of earlier reunion shows, and now being at like um Town Forum about a month ago and seeing just a wave of you know. I guess, I guess it's nostalgia-driven love. You know what I mean for, for the band. And um, did, did did you was that mapped out to, to come to, to to this this that journey to get from oh, A was to that, B? Well, I mean, it, it, even taking this
6: tour into account with the whole lockdown and one thing and another, you know, we put this tour on sale a year ago. Um, that we've just finished, so we're in May now, aren't we? So the April tour of the UK, um, you know, was on sale previous april mm-hmm. and and we were locked down then here um mm. steve so you know i mean i wasn't all for going on this tour a, a year ago because i was thinking well, who's gonna come mm. um but luckily the, the guys that manage us you know they they know their onions and you know they, they put it on sale and we played to full rooms every single night and mm. and it, it is a blessing i am a lucky lucky fella you know i'm, I'm Forty nine next month, and I've been doing this since I was nineteen. And you know, I'm still managing to find a way with music. And um, you know, luckily I've got a great uh, musical partner with Jack Besson, uh, Jesse, and Luke, and Andy Taylor helps out with this record. And Amy Newton, a fabulous uh, guitarist and singer, has come and joined the band uh, now. And you know, it, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful journey. You know, from making the first record you know in 1990 whatever five you know at the start of that whole you know tail end of the grunge thing the start of the britpop thing when guitars were on the radio um, you know and 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 rock and rolls on your tv you know all, all over the place you know, working with George Draculius um, for a couple of three records, you know, getting to meet, you know, Rick Rubin and Tom Petty and all the gang that he hangs out with. Uh, I remember, you know, working at Abbey Road, Sound City uh, in, in, in Los Angeles. Some of the things that we've done, they, they blow my mind, you know, um, I had a piss next to James Brown, you know, in the <laughs> Fuji Festival in uh, Japan, you know, just crazy i remember getting off the plane in australia um and 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 going to tour australia and i can, I can remember doing hey hey it's saturday <laughs> and, and getting into trouble i don't know whether you remember that steve but um it, w- they asked us to play one song and we played another and it, it <laughs> caused quite a stir and it was funny because when we got off that plane uh in australia there was you know, not not many people that interested at the airport. And when we left, there was throngs of people, you know, cheering <laughs> and hooting. So, it, you know, there's there's plenty of wicked memories, man. Um, but if you ain't present in that room, you know, on that night for a gig, then you know that's that's you hanging up your boots, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not interested in nostalgia or anything other than what we've just mentioned. And 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 being proud of things you've done is is, is cool, but. I, I, I'm in the room. I'm I'm present and live. And when 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 we go out onto a stage, we wanna we wanna you know knock your socks off, and uh, we wanna be relevant to the moment. So um, making a record like Shooting Your Ace is is has been fabulous. Even last summer when we started to open up in England, we did some outdoor festivals and we played me Your Ace before anyone had heard it. And we 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 started the set with it, um, which was daft or brave or or one of the two, and people got it straight away, you know, and you, you, it just made me think we're onto to a good thing here. And also, and excuse me, I'm rattling on here, Steve, I know. But
2: it, Go also,
6: we, we made made this record, we cut this record just before lockdown. So, I mean, literally the weekend before we all locked down as a country. So we've been sat on this record for 18 months and every single time I've pressed play, you know, it just sounded great. You know, it sounds great. It's one of those records where, i'm listening to it from start to finish i'm dancing around the studio at the top here and i'm thinking it's not very often as a musician you get it right in that way and you know usually you've made a record and you think oh that song there should have you know the lyrics naff or i should have changed this or you know maybe so and so could have done this differently but on this record no it's um you know it sounds great Andy's produced it great and um played on it great and and all the boys are on fire i mean not one bass or drum overdub on the whole record and you know cut live over a handful of days it, it really was something quite special it's a force of nature man
2: gary i warned you before we started recording that uh, we're going to play a song um, um is there a, is there a song off the album that um that has a good story or a song that you you want people to hear well, I've just well, been talking <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've just
6: been talking about Shoot Me race, the, the title track, the opening track, um, and, and how immediate that song is. So um yeah, let's play that.
2: Welcome back to the third part of our interview with Dan Reid. And if you're watching, I know you're confused because I just start and I stop and we're just grateful that you're still here and we haven't, haven't stopped watching. Um, really interested, Dan, as you build up to the uh, release of this album, um, Let's Hear It for the King, about how much time you've spent in the same room as your bandmates <laughs> over the last sort of two years. Like, um, wh- wh- what's it been like? We actually
7: haven't been in the same room since uh, January 2020. So that's when we recorded the album, and I don't think I've seen any of the guys other than on uh, FaceTime and Zoom calls. Wow. But Brian and I have been working on, we got about nine new songs that we've started on for the next album. So <laughs> that'll probably come out sometime in 2023. So it's given us, a, technology has been great for us.
2: Wow. Well, and, and all the—I mean—the video. Obviously, I mean, I know everyone says now, well, you look like you're in the same room," but um, but you do. And and I guess the artwork on the uh, the um album when it comes out too, you look like you know you're in the same room. I mean, it's it's a miracle, isn't it? Is it is it hard <laughs> to pull off and make convincing, or is it easy now? I don't know.
7: A lot, a lot of green screen. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that that video. Let's talk about that video with the fire twirlers. Yeah. And, like, I mean, um so are you each in a different room um you know and that's being filmed and 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 is 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 it Dan who's sending um who who's sending the the instructions out to say you've got to sit exactly here and you've got to put the camera exactly there, and you've got it's, to have this behind you
7: yeah, it's Dan pred mm. yeah, he's a genius at that kind of stuff, so I mean he does this stuff for a living for commercial work, doing stuff for all kinds of companies, and he travels all around the world to do it Europe. Israel, America, Japan, <laughs> he goes everywhere. So he's got, he's got the uh, uh, skills.
2: Wow, sure. absolutely, absolutely incredible. And so when do you get, next obvious question, moving on from that, when do you get together in the same room? Uh,
7: we're supposed to be in next month, February and March for this tour in Sweden and the UK and some dates yeah. in Germany and France. There is discussion now because of all this crazy stuff that's going on with COVID again. Still, um, about potentially moving those dates, so uh, we'll know more about that on next week for sure. Yeah,
2: right, because things uh, just keep getting delayed, don't they? They just keep going back and back and back. It's
7: it's a it's a tough thing because you have people that are shell shocked from two years of this going on. That uh, people aren't you know really raring to go out there and just pick up tickets and go to shows. They they won't really commit until a show is maybe a week or two out and they know it's happening for sure. Mm -hmm. So that's a, a, what do you call a double-edged sword for bands that are traveling from the United States, which, you know, 90% of us are, I'm in, I'm in Europe, but the rest of the guys are in West coast. So you have tremendous expenses with uh, flights, hotels, booking buses, stuff. That's a lot of stuff that's not refundable. Um, So you have to kind of weigh it out. What's the best idea. Should we do this when Things are a little more relaxed in people's minds about getting together in a sweaty room so yeah
2: yeah, but, yeah that is that that is that's a really really tough uh, um to deal with um i was gonna say um um how do you when you all get off the plane and you all haven't seen each other since january yeah 20 like how do you um do you just click straight in do you are you able to just go to a um, a sound check and bang or do you need to rehearse or what is it what how does it work well we
7: have kind of this rule that if we haven't played in six months to nine months or some or a year somewhere within a year we rehearse a sound check and then we play the first show if it's right. been a couple years which this has been we will book a date a day before the tour starts to rehearse for you know six seven hours something like that with a lunch break in between and especially this tour, because all of these new songs that we've only played in the studio once.
2: Yeah, yeah. So yeah.
7: we want to run through those.
2: Um, I, was, I was before we go. I just was watching, you know, um, an interview you were doing in Manchester. I think it was, and uh, I've learned to say it the English way right now. I don't say Manchester like an uh, <laughs> Um And um, and and you were talking, and they were talking about you know Derek Schulman and talking about the first album, the second album, and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and it's. It's like, and I know you were recording, uh, you were performing an album in its um, entirety then, so it's totally a perfect, appropriate thing to ask about. But it is like now 5% of the band's career or 4% mm. of the band's career. And so everyone has to learn to process the fact that your audience is focused on that 4 5%, and you're trying to still be um, creative. Yeah. Um, how do you... How, how do you process that in, in your own mind when, you know, you, 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 you're coming out on these shows next month, hopefully I'll go and see you, and you're excited about new material, and yeah. yet you know that the people there um, um, are, are, um, are focused on stuff from 30 yeah. or 25, 30 years ago. And not only that, but when you first got back together, it was kind of like it was it was still kind of fresh in your mind, so mm-hmm. it's kind of okay for them to be focused on that. But yeah. it's not so far removed. And yeah, you know what I mean. Like, how do you how do you process that in in your own mind, and are you comfortable with that sort of situation? You
7: know. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think that uh, we've all found a new love for our past. You know, like I used to hate playing the song "Tiger in a Dress," for example. I always thought it was the most embarrassing song I'd ever written, okay. um, and it probably still is. Still is. But I've learned to realize that, you know. The past is our past. It is our foundation of where we came from. And so no matter how many times we have to play Rainbow Child or Stronger Than Steel or whatever, that um, we try to play it like it's the first time we've played it. So it's always fresh in our mind. We enjoy it. We don't sit there and go, oh, God damn, we got to do this again. Um, we never get into that frame of mind, whereas we used to get in that frame of mind when we were in our late 20s. Right. We used to go god do we have to play this again you know bitch and moan about shit. we got to open for the stones tonight and play tiger <laughs> address with the hills going on you know that ego <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so now it's like we just feel tremendously fortunate that we get to still play music so the old songs we love playing um, the thing with the new songs of this new album this is the reason why we're so uh, focused on getting new videos out and getting them out early and that people get to hear the new music so it's not just some kind of boring new song that people are hearing for the first time at the shows that they actually have heard it quite a bit and they love the new music so that's kind of we'll probably play four or five new songs out of a 15 song set mm. so i think that's the the fine balance point there spread it out over the set
2: yeah yeah is there something from back then you know one of your opening an interview you did on mtv or a, um um or, you know a support slot with uh, you know with, with the stones or whatever that is lost like and you'd love it to just turn up one day on YouTube you know that you just want a fan to, to produce it one day. Is there anything that you'd love to see again?
7: That's interesting. I can, there's some, quite a few interviews I did back then. Um, some up in Sweden. I remember doing one on a sail ship like an old a boat from 500 years ago type ship. And I would love to see that. <laughs> if anybody's got that, I think somebody shot it on one of those big VHS cameras that sits on their shoulder back in the day.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And tell me, I was just reading about, and I'll let you go, um, the tour in the early 90s, I think it might have been 91, or maybe 93, with the baby animals. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oz, when yeah. things maybe weren't going so well with your record company, you know what I mean? And you sort of got away to Oz and got on a tour. And can yeah. you, what, what do you remember of that?
7: I just had the best time, man. That tour was fantastic. And the baby animals were excellent live, you know. And then Susie and I hung out a little bit for, I think, about half a year. I flew down to Australia to see her. And then we didn't spend that much time together. We were just, we ended up becoming friends. And then we split. And then, um, yeah, I think the baby animals tour was probably why I want to go back to Australia so bad. I had such a great time meeting people down there seeing the Gold Coast, going up into the Blue Mountains, which is one of my favourite places in the world, um, seeing Melbourne and Sydney, and I just I can't wait to go back. I hope, yeah. I hope this COVID rule stuff that's going on in Australia is, like, really intense, so who knows what's what's our next step going down there.
2: Yeah, well, when you were describing, the you know, the first song, I thought maybe it was about uh, Novak Djokovic, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it for the king, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, apparently US citizens are being um, warned or being told not to go to Oz because of the prevalence of, of COVID, which is crazy when you consider how they dealt with it to start with. But, anyway, that is a whole other subject. That which we is another subject. <laughs> um, let's finish up with another song, and I think you said that the third one we can play is is uh the title track let for the king dan is there anything more you want to add about the sort of background to the song yeah
7: well you can play that i guess it'll be when when it's released i'm not sure the date yet but that's uh that's a song that i wrote the lyrics for uh about 15 years ago and then brian james the guitarist fell in love with the track when we were demoing what demoing new songs for this album and he said dude send me the vocal tracks and i want to see i, I have an idea and, he came back with this really cool EDM track underneath of it. No guitars, just electronic music. And I was like, Brian, that's sick. You know, same tempo, but just a total different take on it. So then I added guitar parts and tried to rock it up and Zeppelin it out a little bit. So you'll hear it since I sent you the tracks. But yeah, I, that to me is the uh, consummate track of this album and where we're heading as a band for the next record or two. Is that track kind of speaks to everything that we're focused toward direction wise? Let's
8: hit it for the king, he's just like us. Like us Except for that peach-colored Four-wheel drive double-decker blowjob bus Let's hear for the queenie She's no better than me or you Except for those 24 servants Bathing her feet in Egyptian perfume Excuse me, can I have a moment of your time Bang, you're dead no idea you'd be taking target practice Out on the back of my head Show makes things interesting Makes a killer think twice While hanging my guns up in the basement Takes some lessons on the fine art of being nice Violence Here come the violence Playing for you But never for me Guess I'm not truly free Not yet Should've done a better the blow-trappers That's us for the queen She's no better than me or you Except for those 24 servants bathing her feet in Egyptian perfume
7: Hello, this is Dan Reed from the Dan Reed Network, and you are watching and listening to White Line Fever. Rock it up.
2: Okay, everybody, welcome back to White Line Fever. If you're listening, if you're watching, uh, I'm glad you're still watching. Uh, We're back with Key Marcelo, third part of our interview Uh, with him. uh, We've been talking about his, uh, his new project, Out of This World, which as we as you probably know, is named after the Europe album of the same name. I want to ask you about a couple of things that you've been been in the news uh, there, key. One is Ronnie from Pretty Maids and working with him on his album. That had to have been a, um, a moving experience, a challenging experience, an emotional experience. because oh, he's very Ill. yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. It's 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 horrible, man. And, and I'm, uh, he's in my praise. Absolutely, man. What what a great singer, what a great guy. And it, it was just a it, I know he decided to make a solo album because he more or less thought it's now or never in a way, you know, of various reasons. And one being very obvious. And and uh, when he asked me to play in the record, there was not, no shadow of a doubt I wanted to do it. I'm really happy to be a part of that. Yeah, I'm just hoping he, he can get cured from this and, and keep on rocking. Like he's been rocking, he's been, he's my, I'm proud to be his Scandinavian rock brother,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, we all wish him uh, uh, the best. And and in, in these interviews, um, you know, you, you often get asked about other musicians, and you talk about you know being friends with you know Don Airy and being friends with all these people. Don Airy plays on the album, but I wondered if you ever run into and um and have a relationship with Brett Michaels and CC Deville. Do you ever run into that? <laughs> no?
5: You know what? It's so funny. I, I got this question a lot. It's so funny because I, 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 I got contact with the um, the producer of Poison's album, and uh, uh, Rick, Rick Braddy. Brad.
9: Yeah.
5: Rick Braddy. and and uh, he told me he brought the East Action album and the Hanoi Rocks album to the the studio when they did the, the Poison album, and he. he Put on We Go Rocking and suggested the band make a cover out of it. And they said, "It's a fucking Swedish glam band. Who's gonna know?" And they just ripped us off. And this is a and I, this is Rick Browdy personally saying this. So it's so fucking obvious that it happened. And for me, it would have been if it would have been me doing such a mistake. I would say, "I'm so sorry. I fucked up, man. I, I took your song. I'm so sorry. I'm gonna make it up to you." Uh, no pun intended. That's fair I make it up. <laughs> anyway. Uh, You're on fire. <laughs> yeah, I'm on fire. But anyway, uh, uh, to this day, believe it or not, they completely, bluntly deny it. When, when Poison played at Sweden Rock Festival, they had a press conference, and they, somebody asked, or a lot of people asked, what about Key Marcelo? What about Easy Action? What about We Go Rocking? You know, Mm. and he said, never heard of any of those. Mm. You know, and that was the end of it. And and people tried to go on, but he just bluntly denied it. And it's so ridiculous. You know, if you at least agree you're wrong sometimes. So I don't know. I don't want to see those assholes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Because when Twisted Sister recently sued the Australian politician Clive Palmer over we're not going to take it, it was it was their record company, right? They saw no money from the action. Is do you own the catalog of Easy Action stuff? Um, would, did you do you benefit from any um, uh, legal action, or does is it is the publishing owned by somebody else? Oh no! Well, the the publisher
5: is Warner of Music, but but I, I think I'm 100% on this. No, no, actually I'm 100% on the music, and, and there's three of us in the lyrics. The the, the singer. The bass player and me, and we go rocking. But I mean, they, there's there's money there. I'm, the thing was, I was so busy when this happened. I didn't sue them. It was Warner Chapel Music that right. sued them, and took them and and threatened to take them to court. It was really a dumb deal. I wonder why they didn't do that. Instead, they made a sub, they set, settlement out of the uh, court. But as you know, when when you do a settlement. Uh, um, you know, they don't have to agree to that doing to any wrongdoing. Mm. So if we would have been taken to the court, I would have been co-writer on their mm. song, which I think it would have been fair.
9: Mm.
5: You know, so every time they do it co- and that's how you admit you've been doing something wrong. Yeah. Because every time they do a, a, a best of poison album and the song is on there, some money goes to me. It doesn't now. We just got this sum of money, you know, a settlement out of court. And if I would have been more plugged into the whole uh, thing, I should have, uh, I, if it's one regret I have, is not dragging their sorry asses to court.
2: Yes, I saw that quote. It's a good quote. Um, before we leave, because as I said, I appreciate your time, Keith, this morning, and I'll let you get back out into the, hopefully the Gothenburg sunshine or the snow or whatever it's like. Winter Wonderland, man. Yes, winter, winter wonderland. I, I wonder if the, after the apocalypse, will we have a nuclear winter wonderland?
10: But, uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I wanted to. Um, good. At the moment, we we have um, um, you know um, George Lynch opens for Dokken There's all these different examples. You know where I'm going with this. It would would could um, out of this world actually play on the same bill as Europe? Could you could you tour together? It's a, a same group of fans. I imagine it'd be an, an attractive package. Could it happen? Yeah, why not?
5: It's mm. not a good. I never thought about it until you mentioned it now. But that's a great idea. Mm. It's the same type of music, and it would definitely make sense, you know. I, I, and I can go on stage and play the Superstitious solo, you know, instead of listening to Nora make an ass of himself every time attempting to do that.
2: <laughs> You're giving me plenty of stuff for blabbermouth here. Um. So, what are the touring plans of uh, of Out of This World? Um. Have you got any touring plans? I mean, obviously a, a
5: no-brainer would be to go to Japan since we were so successful with the album there, number one in the album charts and all that. And while there, why not go to Australia to go to Australia? That would be a, a dream come true. And I've never been. You know, we had a tour with Europe booked in Australia, but it got cancelled for some reason. I don't know why. And uh, so I definitely want to do that. And we have, I mean, we want to do all the big festivals this coming summer, but everything depends on the COVID situation.
2: Mm. I hate this COVID shit. I hope it's over soon. We all do. We all do. And on that cheery note, um, we'll get a third and final song uh, key. And I really, I've enjoyed speaking to you for the last sort of 20 minutes. And um, um, thank you very much. In a million years. Will the sun
8: light up the sky?
2: Welcome back to white line fever for those of you who are watching thanks for continuing to watch for those of you uh listening as i just said welcome back and uh, we've got crash diet with us uh, martin and peter guys um we touched in the first part of the interview about you know your number of um singers you've had and you know, obviously very different circumstances in each each case uh with with them leaving um some bands don't survive changing singer once um a lot no. of fans <laughs> a lot of fans tend to go with the singer um we've just seen i don't know if you're aware with choir boys you know the English band, the choir boys, they've dispensed with Spike uh, and it's caused lots of drama. And they've just put out a statement um, you know, talking about the reasons uh, why they did that. Um, what what is the what is the secret to getting over the the changing a singer, you know, and 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 how is how is your situation kind of different to to other um, other bands? And and do you have fans who have sort of not followed you into the next singer you know they, they get on social media and they they say no you change your singer we don't want to mm. stay with you yeah I, I think we
11: lose some and we yeah, win some more
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> but negative comments are of of course to be expected when you make such drastic changes yeah
11: and um but I think we just we have to uh, renew ourselves, yeah. start every reboot the band and yeah. start from scratch and like um I think we're really I don't know what to say it's a, it's like starting a new band every time, yeah, yeah uh, maybe other bands just continue like they did before and but we always have like a new album out. You know, so I guess maybe that's why they continue to follow us. <laughs> Hopefully,
2: a lot of a lot of musicians talk about lead singer disease. You know that they're a different breed. Uh, never heard of it. not <laughs> what, I don't if, know what wh- you're talking about. <laughs> what is lead? What is lead singer disease? I mean, you can you can you get like a, a feel when when a singer's a bit unhappy that the shit's about to hit the fan? You've been. You know, you've been through well in that situation, I guess, twice now. So, what what is it? What is it to people who are outside? What is it? What's different about about singers?
11: They're just different. I <laughs>
2: wish I knew what's uh, so different uh, <laughs> and why. <laughs> but yeah. I'm 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 uh, just as clueless as anybody. <laughs>
11: yeah. I wish I knew too. <laughs> I think they have this certain persona that, yeah, you know, if yeah. you want to stand in the middle of the yeah. stage. Yeah, that's true. Um, you need some sort of extra gene for that.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would hate that to take that leading role. Uh, so I, I guess it takes a s- special type of person to do that. Yeah, yeah. We know that obviously, with the circumstances with losing your first singer, that the band broke up for some time and and wasn't going to continue. Does that, has that ever crossed your mind with the the subsequent two departures? Did you ever think, well, if either of those um, departures ever made you think that the future of the band was in jeopardy?
11: I think if we would have broken up, we would still continue in some form. Yes. To get the three of us, you know, uh, it's just. We just chose to keep the name yeah um but i think we are that's right we became a new band right after dave you know anyway mm. so let's not get too, <laughs> too hooked up on 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 the name
2: <laughs> so you feel like you're actually sort of being almost what four different bands really is that the way you i feel? would say so yeah yeah, yeah. actually yeah and how would you describe the difference between musically between the difference between the four um, different bands because generally speaking the, the whole sound has like evolved hasn't it for the whole scene yeah. that you're from this is the new crash diet album it's like not crash diet your crash diet mm-hmm. <laughs> the new reckless love album it's so different mm-hmm. to what they were like back then as well i mean yeah. how, how if you could sum up the evolution between the Across the those years, how would you kind of sum up? I think up? it's
11: easier for a fan to to sum up that. <laughs> but I mean, we always try to evolve on every record because mm. that's kind of what makes it fun to. Mm. And I and that's the kind of bands that I think are interesting. Mm. You know, bands like, I mean, how many dis- different genres haven't Kiss done on <laughs> different records? You know, mm. and even Motley Crue. Yeah. Yeah changed on every record yeah and i think that's it keeps it in, interesting you
2: yeah. know mm. Mm. yeah well i mean look at alice cooper i mean alice cooper is not yeah. one yeah. type of music at all is it it's just the guy and the theatrical yeah. yeah. rock thing and the musically it's just anything it could be anything, yeah you know, exactly so, so um, okay guys we're gonna uh, listen to um we're gonna listen to another song um mm. pick, i think you can pick a wider from a wider choice now so uh what what can we listen to now
11: Uh, one of our songs or
2: (laughs) yeah whatever you want mate if you want to listen to alice cooper or motley crew we'll listen to anything you want i don't
11: know how about one from the latest uh, the last album there's a song called rust from the album rust This is Martin Sweet and Peter Landon. Hi, we're from Crash Diet, and you're listening to White Line Fever podcast.
2: Welcome back, and um, it's the first uh, new guest we've had in a few weeks. Actually, no one's wanted to talk to me, but I finally I managed to bribe someone into talking to me uh, from from Bond, but not forgotten, and formerly of the Angels and any number of other touring acts. It's James Morley. Hey, James, how are you, mate? I'm good mate, I got the five dollars. Thank you very much for that. So I'm here to chat. <laughs> you tell me when the meter starts to run low, okay? And I'll top it up there. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, um, t- the first part of this sort of interview, we'll talk about uh, Bond, but not forgotten, and explain what it is. Maybe some people watching in other parts of the world don't know what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a touring sort of concept, um, um, a band focusing on Bond Scott. And you've had in the past many uh, members of Uh, ACDC in it, uh, not at the same time they are in ACDC, former members of ACDC. And I just figure, like, this is your whole kind of idea and I imagine there was a time in the past it was just a sort of glimmer in your eye, a thought in the back of your head and now, you know, you're at the point where um, you should be playing your final show on this run tomorrow night. Is that right? We should be, but uh, thanks to you know what, we're not. They didn't hear that. That was off, off, off air. Um, James got COVID. So.
10: Uh, yes. Unfortunately, uh, the last weekend of the run got canned because uh, half the band ended up with the old uh, COVID, which is a bit of a bugger. Um, but uh, we got a few shows underway. We were just hitting the straps as well. It was on fire.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, so, mate. Um, how um, this whole thing um, how hard was it to bring it from? As I said, an idea of something on the back of a fag packet to, to reality?
10: Um,
2: well, anything to do with
10: musicians is like herding cats. Um, I, you know, it, it's trying to get you know, five different guys or guys and girls in, the, in a room at the same time is the uh, hardest thing in the world, especially with uh, some of the blokes that we play with. So uh, the idea came about all oh, 12 years ago now. And uh, I ran it past Simon Wright, who, of course, was in Agadaka from uh, 83 to 89, I believe. Um, And uh, he he loved the idea, um, but it it did take... uh, did take a while to pull it together. The 1st lineup we ended up uh, with Mark Evans. So uh, actually had two former members of uh, ACDC in the band, and we ended up, well, Tony Carinci got up and did a couple of songs with us as well. So, make that three, you know? Um, so, it, it was a pie-in-the-sky idea, but, I mean, it was a good idea on paper. It was like, um, yeah, if we could make this work, it would be absolutely amazing. And it took a while to make it happen, and when it did happen, it was absolutely amazing. We had, uh, I think, Gleaso from the Screaming Jets and Skeeny from The Poor on that very first run that we did as well well and it was magic and uh, I think that's why you know the intention was just to do a few shows first up and then uh, it carried on from there you know it just became a, a yearly uh, thing.
2: Yeah yeah and are you I mean I don't want you to give up any sort of proprietary knowledge or, or business strategy necessarily but is it is it almost a case of jockeying for position for that moment we all know will come when ACDC cease touring and one of these projects will be the perceived as the most authentic. And if you're a DO fan, for instance, you're going to play a Dio thing um, um, you know, um, at the end of the year, and we'll talk about that. If you're a Dio fan, you want to go see Last In Line or Dio Disciples, and I guess they kind of like jockey with each other for um, the fans' affection. Do you feel the same about ACDC, that there'll be a moment when they stop touring and that if you have two or three ex-members in the band that suddenly this could really blow up globally?
10: Um. Oh, to to be honest, I hadn't really sort of put much thought into that side of things. I mean, we do our thing, like I say, on an annual basis. It it all depends on who's available at the time and that sort of thing. I mean, there will obviously come a day when Akadaka do call it quits, and I I don't think that day, unfortunately, is too far away, you know. Uh, Mm. Let's hope that they get one more tour under the belt. Um Mm be the album that was out you know two years ago or if they've got uh, potentially another one in the can but it would be awesome for them to go go out and do one last hurrah but when that does happen oh, oh look uh, th- there's hundreds if not thousands uh, of acdc uh bands uh, around the world and i think they've all got their little sort of you know corner of the, uh, of the world that they play at and they've got their fan base and they'll be happy to continue doing that, you know. There's a, there's, mm. uh, there's a guy in uh, uh, Europe, uh, Grant, that tours one and they do it with the full scale, absolutely everything, the bells and the whistles and the whole thing and they do a big stadium. Especially so. the bells.
2: <laughs> bells <laughs> in particular, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a few uh, A few whistles but mostly bells,
10: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rock and roll train might have a whistle in there somewhere. <laughs> And uh, they're they're doing big two thousand seater stadiums and all that sort of stuff. So uh, yeah, who who knows what the landscape's going to be? I'll probably be too old for that sort of stuff in five years. I'll be uh, you know laying in bed with a a cup of tea and a cigar
2: and be slippers on watching reruns of Neighbours or something. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) You've had Phil. You've spoke to Phil Rudd and you spoke to Chris Slade, and they've almost played with you. Is that um, are they contacts that are you know sort of ongoing? um, and I guess in the second part, we'll splitting this interview into three and I want to, if it's okay, one segment talk about yourself and your own career um, and in the other segment talk about ACDC, you know, just talk about recent events and, and stuff, books and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, um, um, but, yeah, you've had those guys, you know, in your sights in the past. Is, is there a pr- prospect of having them as members of the band, you know, in future? Um, oh look anything's
10: possible Uh, I mean when when I first approached Simon he did know me from a bar of soap you know Um, and uh, we ended up chatting and exchanging well I sent him some stuff that I'd done and that sort of thing and obviously there was a connection there with uh, uh, the the Albert's connection from the early days of the Angels so he was aware of uh, uh, you know the Angels and all that sort of thing so it did make it a bit easier to sort of knock on his door and say hey mate um, can we play together (laughs) you know is it? Um, so uh, yeah, it's just uh, it, all you got to do in those sort of situations is ask. I mean, uh, with uh, uh, Chris, it, I, I think we approached Chris Simon. wasn't available one year. He had some uh, prior commitments doing a European tour with uh, might have been UFO or somebody at the time. It was a few years back. So um, so yeah, I reached out to Chris and. Um, he said, love to do it. If the stars align with tour dates and all that sort of stuff, same thing happened. He ended up, uh, his management set him up with uh, some European uh, festival dates and all that sort of stuff. But the door was definitely open. Phil, uh, we were dealing with his manager. I mean, Phil's, <laughs> I think he's unpredictable at the best of times. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, look, it, it was It was definitely spoke about. We got to the point of, um, you know, speaking about potential uh, yeah, money which is uh, obviously the, the bottom line for, uh, for for a lot of people when it comes to doing a project, doesn't matter what the project is um, and yeah, just couldn't make it happen um, sort of, you know, towards the last hurdle but uh, that definitely would be a a pretty amazing thing Phil's been my hero as a drummer since I was a kid you know that I, I when I first started doing music it was I was a drummer a, a poor one at that but I tried to be Phil Rudd he, he was my uh, my go-to yeah guy I was watching when I was eight years old nine years old and um, you know so playing with him would be a, a, a dream come true for that reason you know
2: now for the people listening we're going to listen to a song and for the people watching we're just going to keep talking but uh, what song would you like to hear there James? Anything you want. Uh,
10: my favourite Akadaka song of all time is Gone Shooting off the Power gel.. album.
2: Hey guys, this is James Morley, and you are listening to White Night Fever. Welcome back, and we've got a guest here who was on one of our earliest programs. We're on a tour bus in Wolverhampton, I believe, maybe nine years ago, and, and, and he's back uh, with his new album, um, and I, it's, it's a pleasure to introduce, for the second time on the show, Michael Monroe. How are you, Michael?
12: I'm good, thank you. Hey, it's good to see you. You're yeah. very busy. You're very busy. Sorry, Was it it nine years ago? Wolverhampton? Yeah, about
2: 2000, (laughs) I'm guessing maybe 2011 or something like that. Yeah, it must have been then.
12: Yeah, Yeah. I was was one of the first
2: guests.
12: (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Proud of that. Um, Yeah, the new new album, uh, I Live Too Fast to Die Young, you were saying.
2: Yes, I Live Too Fast to Die Young. And you've been in the news lately. I'm in London at Sweltering today. And you've been in the news lately because the first ever rock concert at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium uh, was going to be Guns N' Roses and you were going to be supporting and things didn't work out as planned. Do you, can you tell us what, what occurred?
12: Yeah, the, the first day we would have been the first band ever to play at the stadium if it wasn't for the doors being closed. Uh, we still don't know why, but uh, the first we, we had two nights booked and uh, the first night uh, was our first afternoon and we were supposed to play at four thirty. from four thirty to 5. The doors were supposed to open at 3 30 they didn't open, and we were told they're not going to let us play to, the, to an empty stadium. So of course, so we were ready to go at 4:30. But then uh, we waited and waited, and then about five to five, someone came to say that okay, our slot went by. That we are not going to play at all because uh, the doors weren't open. And for some reason, the doors didn't open until 5:15 or 20 past five. Uh, people started pouring in, and then uh, uh, this the other support band also. They were wondering if they're going to play at all. But then they 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 played. Their show started at 5:30, so people was just coming in when uh, they started playing. So we missed our first day, but the second day we we did an even even greater show for that. You know, we made up for it. For, uh, the second day everything everything went well. Uh, we we you know we played our set on on the Saturday and uh, and Gary Clark Jr. and Guns N' Roses and thought uh, they were all great shows and it was it was great to great to get to open for those guys and it was lucky because the next day in glasgow they their show was canceled mm. I mean, due to illness so uh but that's all we, all i know about it uh we don't know exactly why the doors didn't open in time on on uh, friday but yeah which is a shame but at least it, at least we got to play on saturday i was it was great you know
2: yeah yeah so one um one one out of three, right? Is that is that a big deflated? No, one out of
12: two. Oh, you weren't due to play Glasgow, right? No, no, we weren't due to play Glasgow. So, so I, I was just saying, I'm I'm glad that uh, we got to play the one song show that we did. We yeah. were supposed to play two, and we get to do one. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. And um, what, what was the, What was the atmosphere like? What was the crowd like? What was the? And more, I guess you uh, your experience now. So it wasn't you weren't too shattered to not get on stage the first night. If you were twenty something, no, no, we
12: were. The first day it was like. But I was joking. It was the greatest show we ever almost did. <laughs> but but uh, the second night it was great, fantastic crowd, and we went up, went over real well, and people loved it. We got a great response from people. Uh, had a lot of great feedback about it, so it was great. You know, we wish uh, we'd get on a longer tour with those guys. Or and Alice Cooper, we opened up for Alice Cooper for uh, like uh, seven shows in uh, in Europe, and that was fantastic. It was really really a great tour and. Alice, of course, has uh, always been a big influence on me. And now, now knowing him, he's, he's the coolest guy you'll ever meet. And the whole crew and the ba- the band, the crew and the whole production, everybody's lovely, pe- wonderful people. So it's a there's a great vibe, great positive vibe. It was a real real thrill. And uh,
2: I saw you get up and do schools out, and they even gave you his cane, which must have been quite a rare.
12: Yeah, he, yeah. Well, yeah. On, on my birthday in Zwickau in Germany, he he gave me a, this, one of the swords to. To uh, pop the balloons, you know, the the balloons that have the confetti and and glitter inside. He gave me one of the swords because he knew it was my birthday. So I had one of the swords. And then at the end of the song, he uh, had the guy, the guy who's the hunchback. He he brought me, he brought me a cake and they had him, Alice, saying happy birthday to me with the whole audience. And that was that was like the best birthday ever. I was <laughs> I was like blown away, fantastic. <laughs> He's such a sweet guy. At the end of the end of the tour, and uh, the, after the last show in Milan, he gave me this. Oh, oh, wow, stiletto, a <laughs> yeah, switchblade, which uh, normally wouldn't be would be like oh yeah a weapon, but when Alice Cooper gives you a switchblade, I mean that's cool. That is one of my prized possessions now.
2: <laughs> is it like a movie one, or is it a real one? You can actually hurt It's a real
12: one. All the stuff is real. And yeah, the yeah. knives on, on stage, they're also, they're real. They're very, very sharp. And, uh, you know, he does target practice, you know, backstage. I remember, he, I, he, so when he had, he had a dartboard, I says, are you throwing darts? Says, no, knives. Oh, right, yeah, target practice. So he teach me one day how to throw knives. And, uh, Happy
2: birthday, by the way, and everyone, you're not going to believe. But Thank you. Sixtieth, and you're doing a big event um, in Helsinki on the 23rd of, of September. Um yes. And it sounds like you've spent a lot of time planning it. You're really excited about it, judging from the interviews. Yeah. And, um, I think people might travel from you know all around Europe for it. Um, tell us what can you tell us about it?
12: Well, it'll be a night to remember. It's once in a lifetime. Yeah. I, I can't reveal all the surprises uh, yet, but uh, it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of Many cool guests, very cool guests, and uh, all songs from all throughout my career, including Hanoi, Uh <clears throat> Stuff that uh, there's uh, many songs that we haven't played with the, with my current man and some songs that were never played live. Also, are going to be there. So it'll be. I recommend uh, be there, or you might be very sorry that you weren't. <laughs> special guests? Anyone? Uh... I can't mention it. It's got to be a surprise. <laughs> okay, let's
2: have a song for the people listening, Michael. What can All right.
12: Okay. What do you- How about the new album?
2: Yep. Yeah. What do you want to? What do you want to play?
12: Well, let's start with uh, "Murder the Summer of Love," the first okay. song of the album. Would not that be good?
2: white line fever welcome back to white line fever second part of our interview with biff byford from saxon and we're talking about the new album uh carpe diem and uh, another um song which is really interesting to me anyway and the subject matter uh biff is uh, is lady in gray um and i i did <laughs> read an interview where you you did talk about you know you're taking your son and his girlfriend to this sort of haunted uh castle and uh and 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 that that's where the that inspired the, the song. And you said you have had experiences with sort of supernatural experiences you've seen. I think you said, you said you've seen cats walk through walls. Did you
1: grow uh, up? With- yeah, that was obviously, <laughs> obviously, not every day. The thing is, you know, there's a lot of haunting goes on. There's always noises and bangs and scrapes, but you know, I mean, I've never actually seen anything like in a mirror, you know, like that mm-hmm. crystal clear. It's just you see things out the corner of your eye, you get a glance of something, you know, like a door opens for no reason. I mean, I, I saw a lot of this stuff. In, I used to live in France for a while in a big chateau, yeah. Well, it wasn't mm. a big one. It was, it was actually a small chateau, but it was it was bigger than your average house. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, we saw a few things in there, you know, bright lights in the corner of rooms, and uh, the kids at that time were pretty scared sometimes. uh but yeah, you know, I saw some. I thought I saw some children on the stairs, but things like that, really. But the story mm-hmm. is about. Um, I booked. I booked uh, my son for his. Uh, I think it was his birthday present. I booked him and his girlfriend yeah, <laughs> into yeah, yeah. a castle, the most haunted room in in England. Yeah, a castle <laughs> in England, and uh, the room is called the Grey Room, and uh, the lady in grey haunts it. That's that's all I can say, and. Uh, if you look into Lady in Grey, there's quite a lot of ladies in greys. You know, there's a lot of these, there's a lot of these spooky, spooky women walking around, and they're all <laughs> sort of grey. You know what I mean? So, um, but this particular one is quite a famous one, and uh, uh, her, her, I think uh, her husband left her, and she died of a broken heart, apparently. So she wanders around the corridors, uh, looking for her husband, basically. So it's quite a sad song, and. Uh, you know, I think it's cool doing a ghost story. I quite like it. You know,
2: hey, what was the report from your son and his girlfriend about
1: the evening? Were there? Well, no. Unfortunately, it got cancelled because of COVID. Ah, oh, no. so, it, so it's it's still pending, actually. <laughs> so, it, if it goes there in the next few months, I'll let you know. <laughs> now,
2: come some of the other some of the other um, songs uh, on the album, like Age of Steam, Dam Busters. As a 53-year-old man, I instinctively understand those cultural references. But I just wonder, you do you, are, are kids today being taught the same things at school? I mean, like, Dan Busters, to me, evokes sort of 1950s movies um, and Age of Steam is, a you know, a specific period in history. Um, yeah. Do we just assume that people will always be taught about these things in school or, 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 are they, or, or are they changing? Are they sort of going away? Are kids not necessarily learning these things anymore?
1: Well, I, th- I think, you know, I think I think the things like Gambus, it's a very sort of, you know, I was born in the 50s. So, you know, I grew up with all that sort of, you know, boys on, soldiers fighting, you know, playing with soldiers and things. Uh, so I was brought up in that... Uh, in that era you know when you had choice soldiers and you had model railway engines and things so for me it was all part of my life but i suppose now it's a part of history and it's very nostalgic mm-hmm. um but i think i think people i don't think people are taught about the dambusters busters anymore mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's just one of those things that happen and really weird things that happened in the war you know that uh, these young young airmen, like 17, 18-year-olds, were sent off on this sort of bit of a suicide mission to, to drop some bouncing bombs on a, on a dam in Germany. You know? But uh, it, there were legends uh, in, 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 in England at that time. Mm. Mm. Uh, and there was a lot of films and a lot of books about them when I was at school. So, uh, but I think The Edge of Steam, it's about the Industrial Revolution. So mm. I think people would learn about that like mm. they would learn about the splitting of the atom, you know, mm. with the with the atom bomb. Because uh, it's part of uh, technology, you know, uh, the age of steam, really. Uh, so that's what it's about. You know, it's like, like, say, in America, you know, and it would be the steam trains that, that, that opened up the West, you know. I yeah. Mean, it, was all, it was all steam powered. So, you know, the stagecoach uh, stopped and the steam train, you know, took over the iron horse. And you know the, the, the you know the, the outlaws would rob the trains instead of the stage culture. So it was you know it, it, you saw that in films as well all the time, especially in the sixties. You know,
2: metal has got to be the most educational musical genre, I think. Um, which of those two songs can we play next? Which would you like? Would you like the listeners to hear? <laughs> uh, let's see,
1: Age of Steam. Uh, well, yeah, you can play Age of Steam. If you like, what was the other song? I forgot. What was it? <laughs> I The other one kind of,
2: of, No, the the No, uh, the other song was Dam Busters. Maybe we can play that one next time. So Well,
1: yeah, I mean uh Damn Busters is a great song. It's a great riff actually. Hmm.
2: It's
1: a killer it's a killer metal riff. Um uh, Yeah, I played Damn Busters, yeah. Go for okay. It. To White Line Fever podcast, come on!
2: Okay, and welcome back to uh, White Line Fever. My name is Steve Mascord. Second part of our interview with Ollie Herman. Want to thank him uh, for his time. We're talking about the upcoming record. Although by the time you hear this in the podcast, um, it'll be out. Uh, Turbo Rider. And um, I just wondered: is is it possible to actually for anyone, uh, much less a band, to pick up exactly where they left off before the pandemic? you know, because obviously, and you've touched on this in other interviews, that we, we've all lost people uh, during this period and I guess we've all uh, grown up uh, a little bit um, during this period. And, um, I, I mean, you can't be exactly the same band you were beforehand, can you? And I know you've got a song, uh, Eyes of a Maniac, which is kind of partly, you know, inspired by, by your friend Alexi. Um, can, you, can you just speak to us a little bit about that, about the impact that I guess this period has had on everybody and, and on yourself?
0: I mean, um, yeah, it, actually, I, I didn't even realize it back in 2020 when, when all, of, all of this started, uh, how much of an impact it, it has on people and especially on, on, on myself. I mean, uh, when I think of it, the first part of 2021 was probably the darkest period of, of the past two years because, yeah, as you mentioned, I lost a good friend, practically like a big uh, he felt like a big brother like an older brother for me and uh and of course it, it's it's kind of like it's very depressing to just you know just to keep postponing things and just sit at home you cannot work because your work is basically completely banned during this time so it, it, it was really heavy mentally i think i was uh a bit depressed during the the first few months of 2021, so naturally it had an impact on the on the lyrics and of the and the mood of the uh, of the music that we did because I think we all felt that felt the same, especially me and uh, my creative partner Pepe, who pretty much does all of the all of the music with uh, in you know, and we wrote the pretty much the whole album with uh, with the producer Jonas. So I think we we all kind of like lived through that type of thing and we all knew Alexi so it definitely had an impact on us and yeah it's 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 weird I mean you kind of like feel you feel like the same person but it's kind of like I created the whole character of Turbo Rider for for the album after reading an interview by Rob Halford he was talking about Painkiller And he was talking about this imagining a character that he imagined that depicts the album. Basically it's, it's Judas priest and the music, it's a savior comes from out the skies. It's, it's, you know, it's this metal God (laughs) that comes and saves people. And I felt like, yeah, that's such a cool story. I've never done anything like, kind of like, just like imagined it. It's pretty much all straight out of my own life, like real, real events. And I decided that that's such a cool analogy. I want to do something similar. And I came to think of, uh, you know, because I didn't want to do something. I wanted wanted something that would emulate that. So I came to think of a little girl. And I kind of like thought of myself, what did I feel when I was a kid? Okay, what, what did I have? What was interesting? And because of the dark period of the past two years, it didn't come out as a savior it was like kind of like a killer kind of type of thing it was an evil evil twin <laughs> or an evil sister of painkiller basically <laughs> and uh yeah that's that's how it all came about and um it it was like a, it's a representation or a metaphor for the for the music how it's still the same it's it's got the inner the inner child that we all carry around with us but it, it has gone to hell and you know come down to hell and back and there's plenty of scars that she carries around with her
2: yeah yeah
0: you can kind of hear it
2: (laughs) yeah yeah because i mean you you guys and, and other bands as well um your age be it airborne or crazy licks or any of these bands you have the great opportunity to uh be to actually still live uh if you uh if you want to um you know, you got your youth and your health, and you can actually kind of live like David Lee Roth, or you know, maybe with a smaller expense account if you want to. Yeah. Um, and and I guess, um, but there, there's a there's a limit to that, isn't there? There's an ex- expiry date on that sort of thing, and you either choose to kind of um, uh, uh, follow the lifestyle, and and, and um, or you choose to kind of uh, uh, follow the art and, and try to be a, you know try to be a bit more professional. Um, I'm not. I got no idea. Not casting any expressions on yourself or what you choose to do in your spare time, but is that is that part of like um is that part of this period and part of growth? You know, sort of coming to that realization that um it's it, life's not not a party all the time.
0: You know. Yeah, definitely. That and that's what eyes of a maniac is all about. I mean, the the blessing that these... Uh, pandemic brought with it and, and the two year period that we just had to stay sit, tight at and stay at home. It was basically the it 's a wake up call and yeah i 've had plenty of those experiences because you know uh, being on tour is kind of like working at a party every night because it literally is We go from city to city from from you know and there 's always a party at every city the guys at the the audience from the previous city they're at home resting in you know, suffering through the hangover and we're there in a new party and that kind of like kept on going for a decade for us basically or eight years straight and of course naturally you get tired of it at at times and then you just kind of like get really enthusiastic about it afterwards and yeah it takes a toll on you and you kind of like learn to live with it but then the creepiest part is that sometimes you realize that your you know, eyes of a maniac, for me, is it, kind of like this inner demon. I love partying. I love having a good time. Who doesn't? But it can turn against you. It, and, and there's these moments, these flashes of, you know, I remember from being, <laughs> being at a party. You know, and actually, the, the eyes of a maniac in the mirror, I have this really visual image of going into the into the toilet of a bar and just basically just like, you know, leaning on to the, uh, to the sink and watching, looking at myself in the mirror. And I, all I see is the eyes of a maniac. I mean that this is not good for you, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I mean, sorry. yeah, but it's all about inner demons. So it's, I, I don't want to like, like, oh, like, to talk too much about it what it is for me because it, it's also other things there's other inner demons everybody's got some of the demons that you carry with you everywhere and you cannot escape them you just have to face them and you have to learn learn to live with them. I
2: was That's going to pretty much to introduce a song and I guess maybe we should do that song. Do you think eyes of made Yeah
0: yeah let's do that one why does it find me every time
8: even though I've been living it's under the radar that I don't know how my crazy getaway is blown away again. I'm like a ninja, I move in the dark and still this creature is after my heart. Tonight I need you, I'm losing this game. It might be too late. Eyes the me. Scary feeling, the madness holds me like gravity. No, 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 no more a ninja. I'm facing my fear, my darkest feature. I see it so clear, it's nice to meet you. Oh, what did you expect? The mirror.
0: This is only from Reckless Love, and you're listening to The White Line Fever. Uh, hello,
2: everybody. Welcome back to White Line Fever, second part of our interview with Dave and Andy from the brand new band, Truck. And uh, despite the number of technical issues, we're all here at the same, not in the same place, but we're, we're here anyway. Um, but while you were gone, Andy, Dave said that this is kind of a, a love project. It's kind of like almost like a hobby um, is that is that what it was set up to be? I know you would be talking about hanging out together and having a beer while you're rehearsing. And-
13: Always having you on the records. Com- the record companies have given us a million bucks, and we're only doing it because we've got an obligation. <laughs>
14: <laughs> That's right. Did I say hobby?
9: Is <laughs> 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 it a love no, we project?
14: Do we, we do do it because we love it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's being in your first band again, right? You don't yeah. get absolutely. Kids. You load your own gear. You have to deal with you know unruly lighting guys who you know electrocute entire <laughs> venues. It's it's like being your first band.
13: It is, know? and it's it's a joy that. Uh, I mean, yes, yes. Here here we go again with the joy of being seventeen. You know, so yeah. that's great. Like
2: that. And how DIY yeah. is it? Like, does the record company? I mean, you know, like I'm mean, obviously you organized. This interview was just organized by sending a message on Facebook, but I mean. Like, like, how DIY is is it as far as you know? Um, the smallest minutiae of Do you have some people doing something for you? I mean, and what are your ambitions for it? I mean, do you you got on the classic rock, uh, you know, playlist of the week over here? Um, you know, <laughs> do, you, do you see yourself <laughs> coming over here? I mean, what are you, what you, what you, what are your thoughts? What are your ambitions?
13: Uh, uh, Andy, you for me. Anyone? Well, well, we'll we'll both have a go at that one, but for, for me, I think um, uh, songwriting and 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 being surrounded by great players first. And like like I said, uh, when 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 I was first starting to think about doing this, I had you know Tuesday nights free, and I was going, I need to put a band together. And for a little while, it was going to be called you know Tuesday Night Music Club. You know, just 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 get some blokes regularly in a rehearsal room. And, and let the songwriting start and and without planning too much and I mean uh, it falls into place when it's really good and when you know when Dave and I clicked again uh, uh, to me felt like well, it will naturally I mean this feels good so you naturally you call someone who knows someone and you tell them what you're doing and blah 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 and and and, and we've had a bit of a buzz on this band i must say where i've you know been in music many years and you you sometimes you you're really wanting this song to go or you're pushing something and you i think you can really tell when there's a genuine buzz and i think what's been beautiful this time around is we haven't gone out of our way. We've just been having fun. We play it to someone who, who we know, because, and lucky we've been in the industry for a while and you can play it to this person. But, And the genuine reaction has just, it sort of just keeps, you know, moseying along really nicely. I don't know that we've talked about anything about conquering the world. I think that that's probably next week's chat. But um, over to you, Dave. I, I don't know that we've got major plans other than to just enjoy
14: it. I will be happy with cult status. <laughs> and if world conquering comes on the other side of that, then that's good too. But no, it is it is a buzz. You know, you play it to your kids and stuff like that. And they, like, oh yeah, all right. Because you know, uh, my kids weren't around for baby animals stuff. You know, that's that's retro to them and all that sort of thing. And 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 so if doing something now and you play them, you know, this is what you still do and you're still active and all that sort of thing and, and you get a, that oh yeah it's all right you go all right yeah you guys go all right and so that sort of thing is is worth more than anything to me you know yeah. what i mean but yeah i'll be happy with cult status <laughs> and the, all, well, domination sorry.
2: what's the <laughs> what's the climate like for kind of original rock you reckon in oz now like i mean like it's obviously you know, is, is there, I mean, is there a chance of getting added on Triple M still? Is there, are those things <laughs> still there? I no, you're laughing at me now, aren't you? Yeah.
14: <laughs> it's a uh, tough one. It's, it's tough out there. Yeah, yeah. You know?
13: oh, look, wouldn't, wouldn't radio be lovely? I, I, I think we'd do our heads in if we thought too much about that. I think, um, Yeah. Uh, again, I've learnt that, um, you know, Scott Crawford, who's l- looking after us, uh, I'll let him worry about that. We we hmm. basically uh, to to me the the key is oh my god, we were so lucky we used we used a guy, Kevin Shirley. Did, have you talked about this already? No. No, we haven't. Kevin no, Shirley no,
9: no,
13: no. Kevin Shirley mixed the stuff and and it just sounds great. And that is such to, to get to that point is such a thrill. And then to talk about um what are we going to do for the video? And Dave was just talking about his kids. This is a great segue for you to play the next track um for, for lucky for the video we just thought we're going to try and capture the vibe and and we're just going to have a bit of an Aussie barbecue and with just our family you know and friends and so my kids were there uh one of Dave's kids was there um at Partners and it was great fun that is really thrilling so If it got radio, that would be an absolute bonus. But I don't understand the record industry these days, let alone how radio works. So I don't figure any of that stuff. I I don't know that there's formulas anymore. I'm not sure how all that works. I'll leave that to someone else. But um, if we can get a vibe going, if we can play gigs um, and if we make great sounding music and make good videos and then we can get it out there, as you know, and that's where the, you know, I'm not great with your, your podcasts and all that stuff. So the fact that we're doing this is rocking. You know, um,
9: <laughs> Thanks the more for people, on. That,
13: yeah, the more people that hear it. Hopefully, it just sort of gets its own momentum.
2: Now the song is the song. Lucky is very it's uh, it's anthemic, and I can I can hear in the lyrics that you 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 want to be kind of like not not cheesy patriotic, but kind of celebratory. And I guess it's been a weird time in Oz, particularly you guys in Melbourne, with the most lockdown city in the world. So you know it certainly would have you thinking about the kind of uh, the 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 country and where it sits and where the and and you know balancing the good and the bad is is that kind of where the song comes
13: from uh, a- absolutely a- absolutely i um that one genuinely came coming out of one of the lockdowns uh there was a you know we we've been lucky every time there's been a little opening through lockdowns, we've had a little local pub here that's uh, been keen to have us play. And we go, you know, bloody hell, they're, they're giving us a gig. So let's have a rehearsal and let's play. And then suddenly there'll be another lockdown. And we go, woo, we got a gig in. Um, but the, the feeling has been, you know, watching COVID around the world again, I guess, uh, you know, Australia is not perfect, but I do feel fortunate being in this country. And I do feel, um, and I'm sure David say the same thing. You know, I think uh, the next generation, I guess, the younger generation around the world are very well connected and they seem to have their heads screwed on and and there seems to be some momentum and some change in a positive uh, direction. And so I think being nationalistic or, prou- uh, that you know, proud of your country, sometime, especially around Australia Day, I was very aware that, you know... You, um, that's almost not cool or not correct these days because people can find a lot of fault and and rightly so. But um, at the same time, I was sitting there with the with the lyrics for that song and the the thinking behind it. I still feel like if we're um, if we're moving forward and moving in the right direction, then some of us older guys can feel still proud of where we are. We mm-hmm. can be part of the changes that are taking place and proud of the future uh, possibilities. And, you know, and, and it's not a bad thing to jump up and down every so often say what a lucky country we are as, as, in, in many, many ways um, and to be able to be, you know, I think to write a song, part of the movement in the right direction is a good thing.
2: Did you set out to kind of write a bit of an anthem there? Like, did you kind of think, well, this, this is something that could kind of strike a chord with people or did, or did you just stay up to want to express your own thoughts on, on these things, you know?
13: Again, with the, with the songwriting, I, again, I don't think I... I know a lot of songwriters have lyric books first um, and uh, whereas I feel like the, the, I'm surrounded by the, the flavours, the music... And then usually dribble comes out of my mouth and there's some sentiment in that dribble that will lead to whatever the – and then I'll go away and think about it all. And, and um, you know, when you got the guys playing it, it sounded – I mean, it sounds Aussie. Um, and uh, then I was thinking a lot about what I wanted to say and that usually is towards the end of the process. But at the start, it just comes in a bit of a flurry, you know, and uh, – uh, no, didn't didn't set out to never set out to write anything in particular. It's usually just ideas mumbling into the phone, and I might at the time I might go, "That's a freaking ripper." Send something to Dave, or Dave will send me something. That have a listen to this, blah blah blah. Uh, and other times there can be twenty things on your phone, and it's not till you get back to them and go through it and go, Oh, that one stands out," you know. So that no formula, no pre-planned. Um, each their own little delivery of sorts
2: awesome let's hear that song for the people uh it's lucky by truck Here's a fella, I think um I've been chasing him around for 30 years, uh finally tracked him down. Uh he's good, they've got a the new record coming out. Uh from the poor, it's skinny. How, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, doing my best, doing my best. What are you up to? You're uh, you've got a big gig this Friday, haven't you? I don't want to date the recording yeah. too much, but yeah.
15: Yeah, yeah, tonight. Tonight. Oh,
2: yeah. Right, all oh, right. Well, it's right. tonight over here. You're in London, are you? Yeah, I'm in mean, London. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's still tomorrow for me. Now, um, th- this is a weird one because when I when I got like you know, as someone who sort of got the first EP in 1992 and and all that sort of stuff, um, there's a lot of gaps. You know what I mean? So I thought rather yeah. than uh, yeah, I thought rather than kind of have this long list of sort of convoluted uh, questions, I'd kind of uh, if the listeners and viewers are like me they kind of need a few gaps going in. So uh, so yeah. but obviously obviously, we we, were, we remember, you know, the the album and we remember the Sony, we remember touring with ACDC on the Ball Breaker tour. We remember you were going to take over the world and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then yeah. from 1994 to 1999, there was the Simple Living single, which I think we all heard on FM radio. Um, mm. but, but obviously there, there's the first big gap. So... Um, Um, what, what, that, that period from the sort of Sony and the album to coming back with that single, what was going on there?
15: Um, what happened there, mate, is we we were, we, we'd just done the whole America's leg with uh, ACDC and they were going to Europe and, um, and they asked us whether, whether we'd come with them because the tour was going great and, um. Uh, Sony was saying oh, come, we, we want you to come back Because it had already been two years From, from, the, um, from the first album Being released um, And they were saying I'll oh, come back and, and Record the second album And uh, we thought well, Okay Should we go with ACDC Should not do Europe Or should we go home And we, we all came to the decision That we'll, um, we'll come home And record the album and um, and when we got home, um, Sony got very cold feet with us. They just had they just signed Silverchair, and the whole ass went out of it. Um, where they, they told us that it was going to be a big marriage, you know, forever. And um, <clears throat> yeah, it was all a bunch of bullshit. And um, and we we did some demos, and I think I think they were just humouring us for a while. They they had no intention, and um. And then, and then that, that was a, another six months down the track um, into going into '97, and um, and then there was a, the other shows we were doing. You know, I think we were doing the Van Halen um, in '97. Think was.
2: '98, yeah.
15: '97, '98. Um, yeah, um, the band was still still rocking, but yeah. And then Sony dropped us off the label, and. Um, and then our management followed suit and um, we were like, fucking hell, what are we doing? What have we done? We did have, we did, did have a fair bit of cash in the bank and, and, and that's, that's when we, we thought, oh, you know, we'll just go ahead and do it ourselves. And, um, and we released Simple Living. And, uh, but uh, the printers fucked up the barcode. And fucking, we couldn't get it on shelves. It was just a fucking comedy of errors. So th- that's all that happened. And, and then, um, I oh, will, James, James left the band before that, the drummer, mm. um, before the simple living thing. And that's when we got, we got Gav Hansen, who's still with us today. Mm. Um, and then right at the end of that, in, in 90, 99 um my daughter um was 15 months old and she she got meningococcal disease mm. and nearly died and um and that sort of took me away f- from everything for a little bit and and we had been touring for that long um just non-stop and living in each other's pockets uh, we kind of just we didn't break up as a band we just we just sort of drifted apart and we were just living life, you know, pretty mm. much, mm. and um, yeah. Then we, were, then me and Gav moved up to the Gold Coast, and Matt and Julian were in in Brisbane, and we just didn't do anything. You know, like eight years got away, but me and Gav were were in um, a heavy band called Lump, mm. <clears throat> which we which we got uh, an EP and two albums away with that. Um, and then that, that folded in, in, uh, 2008 and right at the same time, about a month later, I got, I got a phone call, um, from a promoter who was bringing out Wasp and, um, he said, oh, do you want to do it? And at first I went, no nah, 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 <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah. When, we're not into it. It was sort of like we hadn't even seen each other for ages and, you know, putting the poor back back together was, you know, we just hadn't done anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they just said, they offered us a shitload of money and we were like, oh, let's just do it for a laugh. Come on, let's, you know, see how we go.
10: As soon as we
15: got into that rehearsal studio, it was like putting on an old boot and, Everything just went, and we all just looked at each other and went, what the fuck have we been doing? How come we haven't been doing this? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. And then another two albums come out after that, which was a lot of um, stuff which we'd recorded, um, half recorded early, earlier on at um, Billy Thorpe's studio with Greg Clark. Um, and, yeah, it was, still, it was too good to... to um, to not release so, and then we wrote, wrote a few more songs, and yeah, uh, that brings us right up to 2010.
2: Yep, it does. Yeah. And actually, you know what? That is that that's a great answer. I only had to ask one question, and now we get to we'll play a song for the people listening. What, what can we listen to? Come on, what can we listen to? <laughs> uh, what do you, which, anything? What, I can even hear. Well, I can even. We'll ask you about uh, how hard it is to find the who cares. Uh, the, I'll ask you that, but we can play something off that album. You want to play something off the new album? You want to play something off the middle there somewhere for uh, something off. Sorry, um, hills. Um. How about you're in a car? You're in a car. What about uh, trouble? Right? I can just you know. There we go. Trouble Yeah, yeah,
12: And i'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore
9: <laughs>
12: michael monroe here for white line fever and dig you get a chance come and check us out live we're gonna rock your socks off and whatever rock like fuck that's what i say okay <laughs> come on down and rock on